Have you noticed lately how so many brands sound the same on Twitter these days? How they're all debating whether or not they should speak up about the same topics and how many of them are battling for the attention of the same communities? Because we have and we're not the only ones. Twitter Next is the brand strategy team at Twitter and the head of that team in the UK is Sophie Trinder, who joined us here today to talk about key findings from its Real Talk report, which highlights the importance of being distinctive through your tone, your topics and your community. Yeah, we always say the best people to speak to are the people from the platforms themselves. They know the platforms best. And in this episode, we cover so many things, including best practice for your Twitter bio, why not jumping on social bandwagons is a good idea, and how to find the balance between what your brand has to say and what people actually care about. Sophie, welcome to Social Minds. If anyone has been listening for a long time, they'll know I've been desperate to get Twitter on for just about the same amount of time. Uh, So it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Now, we start every single episode with our big overarching question, and this week's no different. So our question for you today is, what is the state of brand behavior on Twitter today? Well, thank you, and thanks for having me. Yes, the state of brand behavior on Twitter today is that we're probably in a situation where brands have reached a tipping point, really. We've got to a point where slowly but surely, brand behavior has turned into bland behavior, or as many in industry term, social media landfill. And we're just concerned really that it's going to continue unless we really start thinking about pausing before we jump into any conversation on social that might not have actually much to do with what the brand stands for or what they believe in. Um, so yeah, we're at that kind of tipping point and there's lots of aspects of brand behavior that brands can look at and assess. There's lots that can be done in this area that can and we can change that. So I mean, how do we get to this point of view in the first place? So the Twitter Next team, the team that I'm in, uh, we partner with the our internal audience insights team. And we also partner with two research companies as well called Pulsar Platform and Sparkler Consulting. And we looked at three years worth of data across eight countries around the world to understand and dissect brand behavior on the platform. And then we spoke to and surveyed 5,000 people on Twitter across those eight countries. And the study goes into three areas of brand behavior. So tone, topics, and communities. So how you talk on Twitter, what you're saying, the topics you enter, and finally, how you're speaking with and for different communities. Um, so they're the three areas of brand behavior. Um, and I'll cover tone and topics, but we'll go into communities a bit later. So the good news, I guess, is that we found engagement with brands on Twitter is on the up. So what do I mean by that? So we found in the research, people are more equate tweeting brands more by 19.8%. They're replying to brands more uh, by 21.6%. There was an increase there and also retweeting by 5%. And this has been complemented by um, a recent study we've done with Karen Nelson Field. This was last, last month. And as you know, Karen Nelson Field is the expert in looking at how attention to ads drives brand growth and mental availability. So her work shows that not all platforms, ad platforms are created equal. And through this recent study, we found that attention on Twitter versus TikTok, Facebook and Instagram was longer. So people were actually had their eye gaze was longer. So they were paid the total attention increased. I think it was about 5.8 seconds, whereas I think 
TikTok was just under five and the other platforms came after. That's interesting that it's longer than um, longer than TikTok. I wouldn't have expected that. But I mean, all that stuff's so interesting. And I know we're going to delve into the contents of the report throughout this episode. But before we get really stuck in, I thought you could give us a brief um, intro to Twitter Next because it's a relatively new team at the company, isn't it? You get founded in 2019. And I guess I want to know why Twitter felt the need to uh, make a team dedicated to improving that content. So did that decision reflect this state of brand behavior uh, at all? And like whether, I don't know, it needed facilitating or guiding? Yes, a good question. So our team, we were previously known as Brand Strategy. So we've been around for a while, but it was back in 2019 that we rebranded to the Twitter Next team. Um, And we rebranded really to encompass the new skill sets to better serve our clients and agencies. So we have strategists, creatives, designers, creative technologists, data technologists, all in, in one in one team now. So we've got all those capabilities in one place. Um, and our mission is to develop what we call ideas worth talking about. So essentially, we're Twitter's in-house creative and strategy team, and we help brands and agencies unlock the creative potential of the platform. So that team came about uh, to better serve clients and agencies. So it wasn't really to do with this study because the study came after. But as our mission is to create ideas worth talking about, that does obviously tie back to brand behavior and the importance of being a distinctive brand on the platform. Mm. And we know studies show that social amplification can boost campaign effectiveness by 26%. I'm referring to the Lesbian and Peter Field study they did with the IPA. So it does all tie together. Nice. I know, I know Eve gave you a big intro there about uh, how she spends time on Twitter. And I've got to say, I, I, we spoke to LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago and I, I mentioned that was the most, for me, the most sort of underrated platform. But I think for me personally, Twitter is my favourite platform by a long, long way. It's always been my fave. Yeah. And we're not just saying that because you're here. Probably. No, we're not. We save that. <laughs> we do so. We don't don't just throw that around. Um, I, I, was, I was trying to think how I got onto Twitter and I actually remember my dad had seen something in the paper that he could directly talk to celebs and he was like, whoa, this is amazing. You can, this celeb actually, you can <laughs> message him so and they'll see then, it on the screens. And, that, and I, I was thinking, you know, what I probably that... joined up to get like One Direction news or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking how that's changed now from that sort of really focused towards celebs and that all kind of really see on feed or maybe it's because of who I follow and mm. the area I work in. Now it's more about how brands communicate and mm. that, that brings me nicely onto tone of voice. And we spoke to Innocent again a couple of weeks back on tone of voice, which was really interesting and Ryanair and how they communicate. But all brands have a tone of voice, right? But the tone shifts between what platforms they're on and then it kind of becomes internet speak. You know, it's, it's, it's not really necessarily how you'd communicate in person. It's how you communicate on the internet. So do you think brands have to cater to the Twitter way of doing things? You know, how users speak on Twitter and interact on Twitter, or does that always end up, you know, with everyone sounding the same? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the the 5,000 people we chatted to, and when I say people, these aren't marketing folk, they're people talking about brands in their spare time. They said, you know, in the tweets, we found that people were saying brands are all adopting the same social tone of voice versus their own brand tone of voice. We didn't say it in that way as sophisticatedly, but they talked about everyone sounding the same, you know, and I think there is a notion of, you do need to cater, and I know you've mentioned this before in your podcast, your language to different platforms and different content needs to have different, that kind of language for each platform to be effective. But I think we've gone too far, right? I think when we ask people 
to use one word to describe brands on Twitter today. They said the word across those eight countries, either playful or funny. So that for us was quite alarming. And I think, yeah, I think the work we did with Pulsar Platform to back up what we discuss as a team anyway, quite a lot. Instinctively, we know it's happening with the humor and snark. But the work we did with Pulsar Platform was really interesting. So we looked at top global brands from across the world across three three years um, and we looked at their tweet structure so that's their tweet length number of keywords they're using the characters the content themes that they push out on the platform and over that three-year period they all start they were all really similar so similar length of tweets similar keywords similar content themes like humor or product focused and that really backed up what we were thinking and it backed up what we were seeing and, and hearing from people on Twitter as well, that we've really gone a little bit too far. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I think, I guess one reason is that brands have got really good at doing lighthearted, punchy things and making people laugh. And there's not no bad thing. It works for some brands. It makes sense for Innocent, right? It makes sense for Ryanair more recently. We've even questioned... What have the role of teams like ours played in feeding the sea of same? You know, we are there with the brand consultants mm. pushing out best practices. And has that contributed? It probably has. We have to question our role in that. And then I guess, and we've talked about this before, and I think it was on your Innocent podcast where, you know, the social admin personality really comes through more than the brand tone and yeah that's a structural issue isn't it it's it's people not talking to people you know the social admin teams maybe having a different vision to the cmo and that's when it starts to feel disconnected right and i just think it goes back to this notion that tone actually encompasses more than words it's about that brand feeling and it's how someone really i think it was northern planners blog i'm not sure if you read it yes i still read blogs (laughs) Um, but he said every brand has a ness. And what I mean by that, there's a brew dog ness, love them or hate them. There's a paddy power ness, there's a Nike ness, mm. and it's it's more than tone, isn't it? It goes back to what the brand stands for, what they believe in, and that should be guiding your content on the platform, not following suit with you know wittiness and snark all the time. No, I couldn't agree more. I think like marketers should like obviously do have a role to play here in like in terms of responsibility for this sea of same because it often is like I mean think about how new platforms like Twitter still really are in the grand scheme of things. Best practice was once upon a time something everyone was clamoring to know and something that like other people were like clamoring to tell about and I hold my hand up I think I used to be one of those people Mm. and my background's in social media management and I was very much on the side of well you have to speak this way on Twitter and you have to speak this way on TikTok because that's the way things are done on these platforms like get with the times and the the longer I've spent in the industry and the more I've transitioned from copywriting to uh from like away from social media management I've completely gone back on my on myself on my opinion there and now I think it's a real shame when we see brands pushing out the same jokes the same meme formats because they're all trying to be as like the cool one basically um, and they're all losing their own individual personalities I think regardless of whatever medium you're on you should keep that and like stay true to yourself so I mean I guess you know following this report and you said like you obviously had a, a bit of an agenda to make this report because it's something instinctively you've, you've noticed for a long time how do you now uh, on your team go about advising brands and marketers to adapt their individual tone of voice as a brand and make that work on Twitter rather than just speak like Cal said internet speak on Twitter yeah it's a really really good question I think it it goes back to 
aligning the team. I think I think about the teams and starting with you as a brand. Um, look at how you're structured. Look at how much the social admin person on the team is connected to the brand team. Are you all aligned on the on the brand vision and and what your brand is trying to do in culture or how it's trying to help people? Do you are you all aware of your content themes or actually do you all not know what they are collectively? Is there alignment there? Is what your CMO is saying about the brand how you should does that reflect how you show up on Twitter or is there again not that's not happening? It goes back to the art of brand building, doesn't it? And that requires top talent, huge investment, time, that real understanding of, of what you're trying to do. Look at Innocent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think Innocent, it's such. It's always been the default for Tone of Voice, hasn't it? But I still think it's such a, a good brand to look out for that because they have their own identity and it works on Twitter. Uh, but I mean, from your side, Sophie, do you have any brands in particular that you think are doing that really well tone-wise? Tone-wise, I think when we look at Ben and Jerry's, for example, always comes up in my mind. And actually, you'll notice that the brands that often come up are often the ones where you might get the eye roll. And oh, we're saying it again, but there's a reason for that, right? Because again, Ben and Jerry's can enter conversations, you know, for example, around trans lives matter or Black Lives Matter or the Roe versus Wade debate because they've been fighting for social injustice since the day the brand was born. And it makes sense. It goes back to their DNA. And that tone comes through in big ideas and small ideas. So yeah, and you mentioned Innocent and and we reference Innocent because they have their shit together. (laughs) They know what they're doing and it was so clear. It's an oldie but a goodie, you know, it's a cliche for a reason. It is. And then obviously more recently, Ryanair, they caught my attention as well. Yeah, it is interesting looking at the kind of the caliber of bronzer because you do have quite a varied scope. You've got Ben and Jerry's, which is very playful. Ryanair, which is... Playful, though. That's that word again. Well, Everyone's being called playful. <laughs> it is. Maybe we should stop calling it playful. Right. <laughs> I think Ben and Jerry's deserve better. <laughs> but, you, but you know what I mean? It, what was the other word? The other word was fun, wasn't it? I won't say that. But you know what I mean? Probably fun, approachable. It's what every brand yeah. wants to be. I'm like, but, okay, let's go a step further. But looking at the the actual brand itself, you know, selling ice cream, it's a novel. Whereas Ryanair, you know, it's selling cheap flights. And again, they know what they are. But it's, it's quite... a big difference in the product there and just looking at kind of those types of brands so look at again the numbers nine in ten people expect brand tone to change with the times and i was thinking about those again sort of brands and a conversation we had with weetabix and he mentioned they haven't changed their tone of voice but what they have done is welcome new formats and topics to stay relevant, which I thought was an interesting way of interpreting because they've got that consistency across the board. But what does changing with the times look like in practice then? Yeah, it's a really good question. And Weedspeaks are an interesting weapon because they've been experimenting with social and they're seeing the you know positive effects of mm-hmm. that in the last three years. And they haven't massively changed their tone, but they've changed their content to adapt to each platform. Going back to you do have to speak the language of the platform. There's always a tone dial, right? You can yeah. you, you have to flex your tone and evolve it to different contexts. But that that piece of research really actually also applies to the community aspect of the work. Evolving your tone, speaking to different communities, speaking in different contexts. And I think actually a really nice example is Yorkshire Tea. Um, we talk about, you know, jumping in on bandwagon advertising, but it was around the time of the murder of George Floyd where all the brands were posting black squares. You know, everyone was doing that. But Yorkshire Tea did something, you know, quite different. And, you know, their value, going back to their brand, yeah, it's all about doing things proper. 
and they noticed that yeah. an anti-Black Lives Matter individual, aka a racist, um, called Laura had tweeted, I'm dead chuffed that Yorkshire Tea hasn't joined in with a Black Lives Matter conversation. And Yorkshire Tea took note. It's very specific, isn't it? Yes, very specific and, and said, thanks for your tweet, Laura. Um, we are taking our time to educate ourselves around Black Lives Matter. We stand against racism. Again, just a really bold response there. And then we had a, another wonderful individual called Pamela who tweeted, oh, I mean, I have to go and buy PG Tips now. It's the Yorkshire Tea's biggest competitor. Um, PG Tips then responded and said, no, we support Yorkshire Tea and hashtag solidarity. Um, you're going to have to find another tea brand. And then what came next was brilliant. You had tea pigs, Tetleys, all weighing in, supporting Yorkshire Tea's stance in hashtag solidarity. But it it was you know, it goes back to Yorkshire Tea led the conversation. They put out what they thought. And I think at that time, they got an increase in, I think it was a 400% increase in brand mentions around that time. And while the tea mm. brands grew by 1% at that time, they grew by 16.2%. Obviously, I'm not going to say that all down to the Twitter activity. They had a brilliant TV ad at the same time, but it would have had an effect, right? And it goes back to, they knew who they stood for, their brand value of, of, you know, doing things proper came through in that moment. And that's, you know, a way of a brand evolving their tone to a context. No, definitely. I think that's a really good example. I'm a, a massive fan of Yorkshire tea, the drink and the socials. <laughs> uh, and it's another brand we'd love to speak to, but they're always very busy because yes. they're very in demand, uh, as is well deserved. But let's, I want to talk a little bit more about this like differentiation aspect. And what really interests me about this Real Talk report was you said like it's not marketers who are providing this data, it's like everyday people. And what I found really interesting about that was that they were able to pick up on things that we, I don't know, I wouldn't expect them to sort of either notice uh like care about or mm. like be able to flag as as a problem so the stat here is only one in three people were could pick a brand out of a lineup and the fact that they could identify that like being being distinctive and having distinctive assets is a priority for brands and consumers are the ones telling us like well, you're not doing it right that interests me anyway but what do you think has caused like the homogenization of this like look and feel and sound on social and social in general but you know as it pertains to this report on twitter specifically i think it goes back to thinking about twitter as a playful and funny platform we can't not use that language and some brands do it really well you know i think I saw, I think it was a, a tweet from Beavertown and they did a really funny thing and it made me laugh. And I think when you see brands do it well, other brands start copying because they think that's the way to do it on the platform. Yeah. But there's so many other ways to express a personality and not every brand, as we've said, should be adopting that funny and playful tone. And the, the one in three was really interesting. So yeah. one in three were only able to identify the brand, but that was when we narrowed the list down. I think we narrowed it down to like five brands and it was a much bigger list. Um, so that was a bit of a face palm moment for us. And I think that that copycat behavior, you know, really contributes to it. And I also think, as we've discussed, it's about teams also 
enjoying being the social media admin account and enjoying the well yeah it's like one thing works like we're probably as guilty aren't we if something works you're more likely to do it again because you know that that's done well and I think when it's when it's so clear to see like even from users and influencers these specific meme formats uh, like a text meme format on Twitter you see that do well every brand's going to then try and adopt that but what you end up with then is just everyone making the same joke and I do think humor can be a bit of a crutch Mm. sometimes for brands on Twitter yeah I agree I agree I think it's um it's a trap isn't it and that and that's and, and you go back to Karen Nelson Phil's point around 85% of ads are below the attention memory threshold. Don't be one of those brands. You've got to stay in long-term memory. So you're just going to add to the funny noise chat and not actually have any effect. And I always go back to the art of traditional brand building. It's it's really going back to that. And that requires, you know, that, that investment. Yeah, absolutely agree there. Again, keeping on the study though, the study did show that people wanted to hear from brands on important topics, right? So like you mentioned before with the Black Lives Matter movement, et cetera, but then some brands get involved and it then, you know, there's so many eye rolls or I also have a theory called uh, quote sweet theory. Yeah. Now I do like to coin things. Yeah, this is new for Eve as well. So my (laughs) quote sweet theory is whenever you see the quote tweets outnumbering the retweets, it means something bad's gone down because oh like a ratio yeah the if the, the ratio of the quote tweets is, is outweighs the number of retweets it means because people are putting their yeah people only bother to type going, have instead a look at this this is outrageous got something <laughs> something yeah. on their mind may or may not be true but there's my theory or they want to one-up you on the joke and like they do they say something <laughs> funnier do you know what i mean when they add to it yeah i love a snowball joke well i mean i, I go back to the yorkshire tea one actually because when brands were posting black squares Yorkshire Tea were doing something different and it was you know a form yeah. of jumping on a bandwagon a very serious issue and doing something distinctively different with the queen activity it's complicated right because I don't think consumers really know what they want I think they just if they see a piece of content that resonates and triggers them they'll talk about it and quote tweet about it in a positive or maybe a not so positive way I think what was interesting with the Queen passing, at first I was like, this is all too much. And then I read a really interesting article on the drum that was posted around the Twitter team from a guy called David Levin. And he was saying that, remember there's humans behind the accounts. And it's such a momentous occasion that you can't really blame a lot of the brands jumping on the bandwagon. And maybe some took it a bit too far uh, the British Kebab Awards. I think somebody quote tweeted and said, "Imagine if this is how you found out the Queen had died, because this is, you know, it's too much." There's the theory. That's the thing. There's yeah, the theory from, in action. Yeah, but if you found out from Shrek's Adventure London, exactly. Oh, I just think it's bizarre. But I mean, like, I can understand that 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 sort of pull to to want to speak up. Um, but like, do that on your personal. Well, we've got personal accounts, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, I think the, the power can go to your head a little bit. It's it's where do you do that? Where do you have that conversation? And yeah. there's different places and contexts that you can do that i think that's a really good point Eve. i actually i actually think admins sometimes fear or the yeah, fomo essentially yes. you know of, of, of getting backlash oh, 100%. for not percent that that but, sort of mass behavior like yeah. fomo thing is yeah. what makes these platforms work but right it, and when you it, see everyone doing one thing you're like oh shit like should we be doing this as well and then like you have that meeting like should we talk or not and then whatever you put out it's going to be very like ill thought through you know rushed. if like the kebab awards or center parks did nothing 
it would have been better. In, you know, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, but it would have been much better than what they yeah. actually you got. Know, Cal, we were talking about this the other day, and we said, like, where do you stand on saying something or not saying something? And this was from, like, a B2B standpoint, mm. but it's the same, really. Mm-hmm. Cal said, we didn't win anything or lose anything from not posting. So I think it's that just reevaluating what you're going to gain from speaking up in these topics. Yorkshire Tea is a good example because they were actively responding to someone challenging them. So there was a need there where if they'd yeah. stayed silent, it would have looked a bit funny. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like they defended themselves and that worked well. But when you're speaking up and no one's asked you to. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think it's an important point to make is you're always going to be divisive in some way. You know, you're always going to have some people that are going to maybe quote tweet negatively or, you know, about your brand. And I think, you know, we saw in the research that it's really important to just be a be unapologetic. And yeah, don't jump into topics all the time that I mean that piece of research that says people don't mind when brands join topics that shouldn't be an opportunity for floodgates right for brands to just join into everything Mm. because you're going to get the sea of same but at the same time think about your tone be distinctive be unapologetically you because what we found in the research was that for every I think it was seven cry face emoji reactions to brand content you got one face palm or every 10 hearts you got one eye roll so you're gonna be divisive right it's gonna happen but what's interesting is that when we looked at negative replies on promoted content from brands we did a study and it showed it didn't actually affect brand favorability and equity so don't panic if this does happen to you you know news on twitter goes so fast it rarely exceeds a news cycle rarely exceeds 48 hours for example it will peter off and um, so i think clients can you know suddenly get caught in headlights with things as well and they don't need to i want to ask then how no i don't want to say trend because it's not really a trend it's sort of like a pillar of our like everyday content but when we're talking with brands and advising them on which kind of topics to speak on does that come back to what community they're trying to speak for because i mean like black lives matter is important around the globe but might not be relevant to every brand's community for nike it does and say like for another brand like patagonia they're going to want to speak heavily on the climate crisis so is it more of a case of just knowing what your lane is and staying in that even if there's something big going on outside of that yeah I think there's definitely an element to that and I think sometimes saying less is better than saying everything staying in your lane is such a good way to put it and I know lots of people say that but it's a really good way to remember and when it comes to the community point there's so many different communities on Twitter that you can tap into you know we saw an increase in 10 times increase in people using allyship hashtags and keywords in their Twitter bios over the last couple of years. So people are like really identifying yeah. strongly with specific communities, um, such as like Ally or Trans Lives Matter or Me Too. So that's interesting. That's a massive opportunity for brands to look at and tap into, you know, as audiences get more specific and fragmented, that's a huge opportunity for brands to communicate with and understand those communities. And, you know, if they map back to their customer segmentation, as you mentioned, Eve, then you've got like a gold mine, a treasure chest, a a focus group there that you can look at. I think for me, what I love about Twitter is that, you know, as we've said, people really reflect how they think about your brand. The mindset's different. They, they they don't come to Twitter to know, to like talk to their friends. Essentially, it's more about what they care about. You know, we always say Twitter's more, is less look at me and more look at that. And it's, you know, it's the largest public archive of human thought in history to have ever existed. And that's huge for brands. They can <laughs> yeah. tap into this gold treasure test 
And I think that's uh, a massive opportunity. So what I want to do is set a hypothetical question here, just about brand behavior and going back to what I mentioned before about how Twitter for me started. And when I, you know, you get greeted with who do you want to follow? Um, if Twitter users had to pick between following a brand for entertainment or following a brand for social commentary, which would they choose? Or actually, is there more to it than that? I don't think they think like that. I think it's more, you have to think about it from the brand point of view. Are they going to provide entertaining content or will, do they want to create a piece of content that is around social commentary? If so, why? Is it? Does it map back to what they stand for, what they're trying to resolve for people? Is it going to resonate or is it going to add to the noise? And then consumers will be like, oh, I like that piece of content. That, that resonates with me. I kind of see it as the other way around. Yeah, I think that's that's probably how I'd look at that. I've definitely followed brands having seen something that's gone wild, like Ryanair, for example. You know, you constantly see these tweets when you go, oh, it's pretty funny. Like, that's I will true. just check in but and you follow, follow them. And you see. follow them, like, because you like them, basically. But then you decide, like, what you want to hear from them. But I've, I never bet. I'm not a better, but I follow Paddy Power because I love what but they do. But you're a marketer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I do appreciate it. It's sometimes hard to step yeah. out. I'm like, how do normal people think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, that's my point. Oh. I mean, I totally agree with you on that since I've got, you know, a list of my favorite brands and I follow them. But I think I'm a marketing person. Of course I do. Um, but for the yeah. general population, I think it's slightly different. I think they're coming to the platform to to kind of look for information and if a brand comes into that conversation then great if it's going to add value to that conversation but yeah I see it slightly differently no I think that's completely fair I mean I, I want to talk a little bit more about community right because I think communities community plural or singular has become a buzzword in the industry and a lot of brands are using it to just talk about like their followership basically like their audience uh, they're like we we've got a community here and it, and it really is just like anyone who's following them or like the people that they would perhaps like to speak to but aren't I mean to me if we're talking like normal people outside of like the marketing jargon if I was to refer to my community I'd probably mean like people I see a lot like my friends family or like you know back in the olden days it would have been the people like you meet at church on a Sunday like the the people around you like that's a community because it implies having mutual mutual interest or like something in common. I think the way brands are using it doesn't really work that way, but I'm, I'm keen to know what community means to you, to this report, like in the context of Twitter, when you say it's important to know what communities you're speaking to, what communities you're speaking for, what do you actually mean by that? Yeah, I think it goes back to the research that showed how people are identifying with specific communities in their Twitter bios. So we saw things like hashtag ally, hashtag trans lives matter. So it goes back to um, a piece of evidence that I think it was eight in 10 people expect a brand's Twitter account to reflect the full diversity of their customer base. So speaking with those types of communities for us came up as a big opportunity. And, you know, yeah, the structural changes in culture aren't really be re being reflected in advertising. And that's a bit of a problem, right? I think there's some great communities there. And even the gaming community, you know, they're a, they're a massive community on Twitter. So brands and clients could probably look at the way people are identifying first on the platform, map it back to their customer segmentation. And of course, there's going to be overlap. And then look at how they can speak directly to them with thought and respect. 
you know, the research showed people don't mind being addressed as part of a specific community as long as as it's done with with thought with thought and respect. You look at an example, you know, Pride Month is a great example, isn't it? Again, it goes back to brands kind of entering the conversation and then leaving. Lots of rainbow washing chats mm. going around the industry, and I think the bar from the LGBTQ plus community is much higher now because you know they want brands to do things outside of Pride Month, not just inside of Pride Month. You need to be committed to that community mm-hmm. like you'd be committed to any relationship. Um, and you've got examples, actually. I think HSBC ran an out-of-home ad to support gender fluidity, but they didn't put their money where their mouths were and they didn't follow the, the yeah, experience through to the online form when the online form was uh, gender was only defined as male or female. So, of course, Twitter being Twitter, you know, mentioned this quote tweeted this quote tweet theory came into play yeah bit massively. of a search and chain yeah. moment love it <laughs> but in, in hsbc's defense actually they did reply and say thank you for the feedback we're listening we're, we're we're working on making this better we've got work to do which actually was quite very brave because some brands wouldn't even bother doing that so hsbc are a great example of of trying to do this and connect with the community but not quite getting it right Mm. Do you know what? I've I've got a bone to pick and I've got a bit of a controversial opinion brace, here. But I brace, think brace. Co- <laughs> here we go. I think like when, when brands want to speak to communities, their head always goes to like social justice or activism led communities, like these really embedded, I would say quite private communities that they don't always have a natural avenue to speak on, like, you know, uh the trans community, LGBTQ plus community, like, you know, black Twitter, all this kind of thing. When actually, say if you're HSBC wouldn't a really like natural community that you want to reach just be like I don't know budding budding investors or people who are investing for the first time like people who are like getting really into finance that's that's a small like community if if I was like a plant brand my community would be like British gardeners do you know what I mean like those to me are little like micro communities and I think brand here's community they immediately say how can we make gay people like us like mm. it, it doesn't have to go it that doesn't. way for me, but I'm a bit of a skeptic these days. No, so I think it's a really good point. And our, I think our area of research focused on those specific communities, but you've still got a very valid point there. Who are the people you're actually trying to reach? Who are your most valuable customers? Talk to those people first, you know. Um, so it's, it's a really valid point. Um, and I think they also exist on Twitter. You know, we have a, funnily enough, we do have a massive uh, planting community that love talking about plants. So there you go, Eve. I, I know, I'm, I'm one of them. <laughs> I, mean, I, need, I need to get in that because every plant I have, I kill. Me too. So I, just, I mean, that one. I don't know, that's another, it's another topic for another day, but you are a listener to the pod, so you'll know we like to, we always like to give actionable advice on social minds when we come to a close of a conversation. So just looking at the report, it states that sameness won't survive and distinction is everything, which I really liked and couldn't agree with more. So in terms of that advice, what immediate steps can marketers take now to ensure that their brand's being distinctive on Twitter? Yes, I would say start with you. Um, look at how your team is structured. Look at how the social admin Twitter account is connected with the rest of the brand team. Are you aligned on the same understanding on what the brand is trying to achieve? I'd say there's a huge disconnect there. Um, which is why it's contributing. You know, mm-hmm. we have a sea of same. Some tactical things you could do as a team, if you if you're all together, you could internally do an exercise where you ask everyone to think about if your brand personality was a gift, what would it be? And there might be a couple of gifts, but see what other team members say. 
because if there's misalignment there, that's really interesting. Um, another good tactical idea would be to look at what, as I said, the CMO says about your brand versus how you show up on Twitter. And then once you're all aligned together, just go back to your Twitter bio and just read it. Does it map back to your brand beliefs or does it say something different? Are you happy with the Twitter bio? Discuss who you're not, avoid the status quo. And I think when it comes to topics, clarify your topics. Do you have too many? Does everyone know what they are? If you're going to join topics, join in naturally, not opportunistically. You know, you've got to find that. Again, it's the sweet spot. The distinctiveness bit is the sweet spot between what your brand has to say and what people care about. It's a classic thing to say, but it's it's true. And then when it comes to community, I'd say avoid lazy stereotypes. The work that Creative Equals does here is really interesting, run by the ex-creative director, Ali Hannon, and she's doing some brilliant work to shine a spotlight on brands that are doing this really well, brands that are doing it not so well, as well as other diversity efforts across the industry. And I think brands, yeah, look at the communities on Twitter. Do they map back to your customer segmentation? Revisit that um, and then take time to understand how they speak, learn their language, speak to them directly and show people that you see them and you respect them. Yeah, all really solid advice, I think. And I think to sort of top that off, um, just before we finish up here today, if I'm a, a marketer who's just come off the back of this conversation and now seeking inspiration, but also like warning on what to do and what not to do when it comes down to nailing these three pillars of like good tweeting, uh, which are tone, topics and community. Can you give us an example of one brand that's doing all three very well and then one brand uh, who is not? We've covered quite a few in the bulk of our conversation today. I think um, we've covered ones that didn't do so well. I think HSBC kind of really came up. I think, I mean, I'll go and I'll be a bit cheeky and talk about a piece of work that we've done as a team. Um, this was something we worked on for Ovarian Cancer Action, the charity. And this is a great example of tapping into a community, actually nailing it from a topic point of view because it was Ovarian Cancer Action Day. Um, having a really strong tone whilst doing all of that. And we run a competition every year uh, for creative agencies in the UK called Powered by Tweets, where creative agencies pitch for their most compelling Twitter activation on behalf of a social cause or a you know, non-profit um, to make a positive change. So what happens is that the best idea gets funded by the Twitter Next team, 150K, um, and they get the opportunity to work with us and our Twitter Next lab team, who are the creative technologists, who prototype things and, and play with the API. Anyway, so this campaign um, was developed by two creatives called Gemma Burgess and Jimena Jill Flores. And they had a really powerful idea to raise awareness of ovarian cancer for the charity Ovarian Cancer Action. Now, this campaign is so powerful because it raised awareness of the symptoms of ovarian, of ovarian cancer in a way that took advantage of the technical features of our platform. And it was called Followed by Cancer. It was the most retweeted campaign that they've ever had. It made campaigns out of the week. And the problem is, with a lot of female pain, it's often dismissed by the healthcare system. Um, and this is one of the reasons why ovarian cancer is so often ignored. And um, we saw so many people actually tweeting about how they were turned away from the health services when it came to their pain. And it can be really confusing because when you with something like ovarian cancer, 
the symptoms are like tummy ache or feeding full quickly or needing to go for a wee or having a bloated belly. So symptoms that women live with and deal with on a monthly basis. I mean, we can have a lot of pain, right? Um, so what Gemma and Jamina did is they created four Twitter accounts with um, which reflected each symptom. So they worked with us to verify those accounts. So we had a Twitter handle called My Tummy Hurts or one called I Need a Wee Again. <laughs> um, and we posted kind of meme related content and followed people. Um, we sent and followed a community of people with ovaries um, to see if they could figure out why they were being followed by these accounts. So people were literally being followed by cancer, um, which is the name of the campaign. And then two weeks later on World Ovarian Cancer Day, um, we revealed through a really powerful film that everyone, nearly everyone, ignore the Twitter handles just like they ignore the symptoms of ovarian cancer in real life. Um, and the reaction was phenomenal. Um, we had people tweeting about how they needed to see this campaign. It made them go and get checked. It really brought some emotional stories together because people were saying that they wished their loved ones had seen this before it was too late for them. It created a really important broader discussion around the dismissal of women's pain um, and it raised awareness of, of the symptoms. Um, and it made, as I said, campaign over the week viewed up and down the country. I think it had six million views at launch. And, you know, I think they had as many mentions across the four day campaign period as they did in the whole of 2022. So it was, uh, you know, and I think it goes back to when an agency comes to our team with a really powerful idea has the opportunity to work with us, we can help marry that idea with our tech expertise and get work that gets talked about in culture. So I guess I'm really excited to see what the agencies have in store for 2022 on that one. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. I think it's a really nice example of that creative concept coming through, like the even the execution of it, like the way it's like literally being followed and using like the accounts to do that. Um, yeah, really nice example of out of the box thinking there. I didn't talk about bad ones, but I just go back to that thread. I know we've we've <laughs> we've dunked on HSBC yeah. already. I, but, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. queen related stuff as well is probably um, an interesting one to look at. Um, I'll send you a thread after of all of the brand content. Like between Shrek's Adventure London, uh, thinking they had like any rhyme or reason to speak at all, and then like brands like Pretty Little Thing just trying to make it like a girl boss yeah. moment. No, oh no. Know. Yeah, that is that is a, a good lesson in what not to do. But we've come to the end of our time here today, Sophie. But I just want to say a massive thank you again for coming on and speaking to us today. Uh, and I will urge our listeners at home to go and check out the Real Talk report if you haven't already. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so happy we finally got to talk to Twitter then. And I think one stat from that report that still stands out to me, ironically, is the fact that that one in three, uh, it was only one in three people could like choose your brand out of a lineup, basically. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do like an exercise. I'm giving a workshop in a few weeks. I'm going to do it then. Seriously, take your, blur out the profile picture, cover up the name and just give them like text tweets just from a bunch of different brands. I bet you anything, no one will be able to tell the difference, probably not the brands themselves, mm. unless they remember writing it themselves. Because everyone is using the same formats, the same memes, the same jokes and... I mean, I am contradicting what I will have said on this podcast a few years ago, but I've changed my mind since. I think this sea of same is becoming a real issue and it needs intervention now. Otherwise, we're all sort of happy going along with the ride of things until you take a step back and realise that you've lost your entire brand personality. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like we mentioned Ryanair and I know we spoke about them quite a lot, but they're a brand that know themselves inside out 
they know how to take the mick out of themselves and that's funny in itself. Mm. Everyone's chasing this sort of funny, happy-go-lucky, playful sort of tone. There's another stat in that report, not really a stat, but kind of like a quote or call out in the report that we didn't actually mention in the episode. What is it? It was like people, I can't remember how many people, but people basically don't want brands that only joke or they like Mm. look down on the ones that only joked. Um, because, yeah, it's sort of like a one-trick pony thing, isn't it? You've yeah. got to have more about you. Do you remember Politics for Ali or Politics for All, as you may have known them best? Politics for Ali? So Politics for All. I remember Politics for All. Well, you, what, you, what you didn't know it was actually Politics for Ali because the L, they couldn't get the handle, so the, oh, the L and it was a capital L. That's actually nice. Anyway, those are the sorts of accounts that I think you're referring to there, even in terms of we've got these comedic accounts or these light-hearted accounts, but like news aggregators or... One I've been following recently for obvious reasons, um, Royal, I think it's Royal Updates. Yeah, they keep, you know, they, they've keep appeared on my feed. And I use Twitter a lot for the news. I think it's probably the main thing I use it for. I, I, I find out my news from Twitter as it happens, you know, even if there's like, you know, God forbid there's like an attack somewhere or so you can go yeah, it's the first place get you go on the ground for anything. You? and that's what I think I use my Twitter for the most and there does need to be a balance but then like I say I do follow the Paddy Powers and the Innocents and the Ryanairs to kind of mix it up so for me I personally feel like I've got a good balance there but I can understand that like you say you know everyone's kind of mishmashing into the same sort of social like, talk. Okay, so like as copywriter, you've got a bit of an overview over like what um, social media managers are putting out across different accounts. And I found myself having to sort of advise like, you know, that brand's putting out similar content to that brand. And mm. like, it's all different people, but we're all having the same ideas. And it is based on what's popular on the platform at that time, which I think topics wise, community wise, fine. But that tone has to be your own. Yeah, Ooh, that was a rhyme. I was glad my uh, quote tweet theory went down well. Yeah, I like hearing new things. I like hearing new things. It wasn't rebuffed, really so I actually think it could be. I think I could be onto something. Maybe. I've been searching Finally for that thing I can something. own. You know I have been searching for that, so maybe that's it. But I mean, it's definitely a thing. And I also really liked hearing from Sophie about how not to jump on bandwagons because I've been thinking about it for a long time. You mm. know, like I said, the Centre Parks thing was the prime example of that. You know, if you're going to do it, you really need... Obviously, that's kind of business practice. They try to shut the whole mm-hmm. park and kick people out. But it's how they did it on Twitter. And then it just, you know, Twitter's so, it just blows everything, not out of proportion, but, you know, it's so big there. That it can you, be a volatile space if you if you say the wrong thing you, or do exactly the wrong thing. Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's interesting. And I think, yeah, the, the, the is it PG tips? Yeah. Or Yorkshire tea? It was both of them, wasn't it? So yeah. if you're looking for a good example and a bad example, if the bad example of what not to do is, like every brand ever that's been speaking about the Queen's passing this week. Uh, And then a good example being that tea movement of solidarity where Yorkshire Tea was responding to a a critic who was like, oh, I hope my favourite tea doesn't talk about Black Lives Matter. That would ruin my brew. Like, who the fuck says that? It's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, PG Tips joined in and then Tea Pigs joined in. And that was uh, a nice sort of moment where you're speaking on that important topic, but it's also because like we covered, exactly, you've been invited to take the stage then. You're not just like grabbing the mic because you feel like it yeah if I'm if I'm a brand and I'm listening to this now and, and and thinking about those sort of big moments definitely take a step back and go I mean again it's kind of what what Eve said that we were talking about you know are you going to win or are you going to lose or you're not going to win anything you're yeah. not going to lose if you're anything. not going to gain anything you're not gaining or, lose or anything. losing then I just say just don't do it um but really love that episode again love speaking to platforms directly we get so much gossip from inside and best practices from inside the platforms themselves and there's no better people to speak to than the platforms themselves right